Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ho, 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 snitches. Welcome back to Christmas News. There's 25 days till Christmas, and our jingle bells are starting to ring. This week, we're talking to Courtney Diskin about Christmas memories and what it's like to be a teacher this time of year. We're trying to make sense of Dolly Parton's acid dream of a Christmas special with culture critic Carrie Whitmer. And we're doing a deep dive on Happiest Season, the first major Christmas rom-com to star an LGBT couple with Melissa Radzimski and Jen Keith. Follow us on Instagram at ChristmasNewsPod. And make sure to rate and review Christmas News on Apple Podcasts. And send this podcast to a friend. Well, Casey, we did it. We got through Thanksgiving. We finished it. No one can rain on our Christmas parade anymore. Exactly. It is 100% officially the Christmas season. And it's been that in the UK. That is one of the major plus sides in addition to free healthcare of living in the UK (laughs) is that Christmas basically starts on November 1st here. I know. I'm so jealous of that. I really want to see all of your London decorations around London. I know the lighting in every like downtown high street, as they say, it's just amazing. So I'd love to see some of those. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to snap some photos. So speaking of getting lit, what's your drink of the week? My drink this week is a smoky cider mezcal margarita. Whoa. Tell me a little bit. That is so many. That's like Joseph's Technicolor dream coat of Christmas flavors. Tell me a little bit about this. Well, the mezcal is the smoky part. It's um, two, sh- two ounces mezcal, one ounce contro or any kind of like orangey liqueur and three ounces of apple cider and then like a little squeeze of lime, mix them all up and you can line the rim with cinnamon, allspice and sugar. And then if you want, you could also throw in like an apple slice and a cinnamon stick. So I'm going to try it. Oh yeah. Love it. Is it smoky? Is it cider? Yeah, but it's a good mix of, of both. It's just perfect. I'm a big mezcal fan. So I, when I saw this recipe, I just had to do it. Yeah, what that is- sounds great. Too many of the Christmas cocktails are really fruity or cranberry based. And I'm just not a fan of that. I'm with you. I like a smoky sort of manly drink that's going to put a little hair on my chest. So I think I'm going to be trying that drink too. Yeah, definitely try it. It's really good. What are you drinking this week? So I have invented a drink. It's called the Evergreen Spritz. It is a Prosecco cocktail. It's got this pine syrup. It's called William Fox Pine Syrup. It says it's brewed in Liverpool. So I added that and a sprig of rosemary. I crushed up some rosemary to put into. I added just a little tiny bit of clementine juice. And then I I did a little bit of the rind around the rim. So it's really good. It tastes like a Christmas tree with a little orange citrus 
thrown in. It's very nice. Love it. And that pine syrup, is that boozy? No, it's just, um, it's just the syrup. So another thing that you can do with that pine syrup is make a pine old fashioned, which I think is what might be next on the docket because I love an old fashioned, especially with a little hint of extra flavor. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. So who is your holiday character for this week? My holiday character this week is Mr. Christmas from the show you told me to watch last week. (laughs) You watched it? Yes. I blew through it in about, you know, 30 seconds. I watched every single episode. And the reason why I feel like, and for people who don't know, this is a show on Netflix where this guy, his name is Mr. Christmas for reasons which are never fully elucidated, but go with it. He goes to people's houses. They tell him their little like minor sob story about why they need him to decorate their house for Christmas. And he does it all. And he decorates their interior, their exterior. It's amazing. And the reason why I feel like him is not because I finally finished my tree completely, but because Nick and I are looking at houses and all I can do when I walk into each house is think about what I would do with it for Christmas. I'm like looking at the kitchen drawer handles and cabinet handles and I'm like, I would paint those gold for Christmas and I would do this for Christmas and I would put the tree here for Christmas because we're looking at these houses that are really cute and Britishy and they're just so adorable. And I'm just like, I need to turn this into a Christmas extravaganza. So do you think there's any chance of you accidentally choosing a house that's lackluster the rest of the year? just because you know it has great Christmas potential? A hundred percent. This house we saw today, Nick was like, it's a little dark inside. And I was like, we don't need light. It's going to be really cozy and Christmassy and we can get like an electric fireplace. And he's like, well, what about in the summer when the sun is shining and our house is dark inside because there's not enough windows. And I was like, that doesn't exist. I don't care about that. Just not, not on the radar at all. Yeah. And do you want to know something else? This sounds totally unrelated, but it just popped into my head and we need to address it. There is a phenomenon here in the UK where every Christmas, the kids, they don't go to the mall to take pictures with Santa. They go to something called Santa's Grotto. Oh. And it's so weird because to an American, Grotto is automatically Playboy, right? Yes. Yeah. So you just see all these, not this year because of COVID, but normally you see these ads on all the buses and in all the tube stations that are like Santa's Grotto here, here, and here. And it's got like pictures of little kids. And it's like, what are they doing in Santa's Grotto? Wow. That's just, I I don't even know how to unpack that. I mean, you could make a really funny like SNL skit about it. Yeah. Hold on. Let me ask Nick. 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 Hey, St. Nick. Hello, how are you doing? What is Santa's Grotto? It's Santa's little houses and shopping centers. And you can go and visit Santa and get a present. He gives you a present? Yeah. Well, you pay. So you buy a present and Santa hands it to you? Correct. (laughs) Well, it's like he he picks out his big bag of like mystery presents. And it's like a pound to see Santa. Okay. Or five pound in a nice shopping center. So, do you get a picture with him? Yes. Why is it called a grotto? I think that's his type of house. House? Like his cave, yeah. His cave? Yeah. So, do you know about the Playboy Grotto? No. Well, I've heard of it. 
that explains it. Did you go to the grotto when you were little? Yes. Well, did you like it or? Yeah. All right. Thanks for telling us. <laughs> thanks, Nick. You're welcome. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. All right. There you have it, folks. There you have it. <laughs> what character do you feel like? Okay, I'm going to sign on this week as Amanda from The Holiday because okay. I am normally the person that cannot cry no matter how cheesy the movie, how sad, like the situation, whatever. I just, I can't cry. I felt very seen when I watched that movie for the first time and she just couldn't cry. But this year, I think 2020 has just had so much going on. And I actually finally am watching all of these cheesy Christmas movies and the waterworks are just coming. Like whatever it is about this year, I can finally actually release emotion in a healthy way. (laughs) So I think that's really good. And yeah, I feel like her when she... um, you know, finally cries. Spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen The Holiday by now, like, get to it. Yeah. Courtney is one of your best friends. She's one of the funniest people that I've ever met. We all met back at St. Peter's Grammar School, and we're going to talk to her about school and being a teacher and what it was like to go to this crazy Catholic grammar school with, like, three pens to its name. Yeah, pretty much. We're going back to school, baby, with my great friend from grade school, Courtney Cox. Courtney Diskin. Diskin. Oh, her last name's Diskin now. She got married in July. Yeah. So we all went to the same Catholic school growing up, St. Peter's Grammar School. We're proud of you. Can you walk us through any Christmas memories you may have from that era? Oh my gosh, there's so many good ones. Um... I know you girls can both definitely relate to the honor it was to serve the vendors at the St. Peter's Craft Fair. Nothing said Christmas was starting like that. Um, What was that? Could you walk us through what was the craft fair? What was serving the vendors? Absolutely. So in eighth grade, well, let me start with the craft fair. So the craft fair happens every year. I want to say like the last weekend in November, right? No, first, I think first weekend. It's the first, oh, get it started right away. That's what I love about St. It is the first, because I went the day I got engaged. I should know this. You Um, did? (laughs) It was that important to me. It's crucial that we get there. So I, um, the craft fair is this day that you go and there's all different vendors and Santa's there and you take a picture with Santa. You got to make sure you get to the vendors in the hallway because they kind of block them out, but they're cute and you got to make sure you get to them. And in eighth grade, it was such uh, like a moment to be able to be a waitress or a waiter at the craft fair and they would tip you as you gave them their lunch and it was all exciting you had these little aprons on and you were with your friends and you got to go to the craft fair by yourself because you were working it very exciting and we and we wore our gym uniforms when we did that right (laughs) we did (laughs) i forgot that little detail and i thank you for reminding me i think i blocked that one out too the gym uniforms were terrible. So bad. And they were completely see-through. So you're a little girl <laughs> through puberty. And like, if you don't wear a freaking bulletproof camisole under the t-shirt, everyone is going to see your little breast buds. <laughs> everyone. Nothing's left to the imagination. St. Pete's was just like, let's lay it all out there. We love but it. don't roll your skirt up, but everyone can see your boobs through your gym shirt. 
incredible absolutely incredible so that was definitely um a favorite of mine but i remember all of the christmas pageants also like they were yesterday so uh one of my favorite um slash funniest memories from that was started in kindergarten um they all the little girls got to be angels or doves and they made me the donkey and <laughs> Why'd you do that? So they made me the donkey, right? And I'm like, I, I it didn't sit right. It wasn't. <laughs> wasn't Why could they not make a boy the donkey? I, I well, my point exactly, Mom. And we'll circle back to that later. Hang tight to that thought. So now <laughs> I go home. I'm devastated. Devastated. I'm like, I can't be the donkey. But here's this little five-year-old just struggling internally. So I tell my mom, and then my nanny, <laughs> my grandma, is like, Court the donkey is crucial. It's like, and I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a little story with you. You know what, we're gonna watch a little story. Watch Dominic the donkey. Oh. It's, uh, she Wait. sold it. She said, look at how important this donkey was in the Christmas story. And it was a valiant effort. However, I was not sold and my mom called the school and had me change to an angel. Good for Patty, honestly. That is really insane to make one only one girl in the class be a donkey while everyone else is an angel or a dove. It's not right. It just isn't. So, I mean, who? I can't recall what the other girls were, but I think it was all angels and doves. And I was just devastated. But full circle, I think I gave back to that poor donkey I abandoned by being a shepherd with Casey in our eighth grade show when all the girls were angels. <laughs> sure we did. Said, you know what? I'd like to be a shepherd. You said I'm not like other girls. That's what we said. Yeah. <laughs> Something like yeah. that. We're not like those other girls. We Courtney, are I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Dominic the donkey because I have heard tell that people outside of the tri-state area don't really know what Dominic the donkey is. It's like a Jersey, Staten Island, Long Island, New York thing. Really? Yes. That's the word on the street on Twitter this year. People have been debating if it's, I think it really only exists in parts where there is a large and active Italian diaspora. So if you were to go out to like, you know, Indiana or something, they might not know about Dominic the donkey. That's shocking. Right? It's so, it's such a staple in Jersey. It plays like every day. Like just thinking about it, I feel like I'm in CVS looking for tampons and it's just like playing because it's just the 24 7 like soundtrack to november and december it really is it really really is um that is wild because my grandma and like our family isn't even italian and we just know it so well like like you girls like it's just it's a staple where we are i guess that's wild it is really funny people like I know so much about Italian culture and people are now that I live in the UK, people are so confused by why I know a lot about Italian food and stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm from New Jersey. And they're like, what does that mean? Why would that make you Italian? And I'm like, yeah, this actually is really weird that I'm just like explaining cannolis to other, you know, Irish people. <laughs> that but, is, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just part of the New Jersey experience. It is. We wouldn't and have And thank any God for life. that. Yeah. 
Man, I can't get over the craft fair now. Do you remember the kind of stuff they would have? It would always be like knitted tea cozies and like Amer- like off-brand American Girl doll clothes was a big one. What else would they sell? It was so good. Those little clothespin ornaments. We have a couple on our parents' tree at home yes. that are like, they would make it look like a St. Peter's School basketball player, Point yes. High School cheerleader. They were excellent. I think I, I got a couple of those every year. <laughs> every year. <laughs> I was like, I'm playing. I picked up soccer this year. I got to get the the soccer clothespin gal. <laughs> got to catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely had a lot of soap. A lot of soap. And uh, they had, what were those? Slingshots. Slingshots. Yeah. The guy made the little wooden stuff. He all was the wooden there. toys. The wooden toys. Oh, God. This is killing me now. I just want to go to a craft fair. I know. So Courtney was there last year, or two years ago before she got engaged. Okay, yeah, explain this to us. You went to the craft fair before or after you got proposed to? Uh, uh, we went before. We, we definitely That's went. crucial. Whose idea was it? And, like, did Charlie know that this – was he like, you know what? I'm going to do it after the craft fair. <laughs> was that – That was the thought process. How did the I day go? Craft, craft fair. Like, how did you plan the day? How, tell us about that process. So – I was very busy that day. I had my own agenda. Charlie just kept reminding me we're going to dinner and we have to leave early because it's further away. We're going to dinner. We have to leave early because it's further away. I'm like, all right, well, pal, we got three houses to go see with the realtor and then we must hit the St. Peter's craft fair. <laughs> and he was like, oh. <laughs> and I remember him being like, well, we really, I don't like court the last year we wanted didn't have like a ton of stuff. I go, we're going. Like I was so offended and appalled that he would even like <laughs> think we're not going to the craft fair that year. So we, um, we go and he totally kept his cool about him. And I remember sending all of our friends, Casey included the picture of us in the school and they all know I'm getting engaged. So they're like, what is the woman doing? The craft fair? <laughs> so I, um, we actually met the person that we chose to do our wedding for us. Like say our wedding, the um, deacon. Charlie met him there and we got engaged that afternoon. So it was cute. So that's why we picked him. That is the Lord doing the Lord's work. And that's on God. That's the angel of Dolly Parton doing, doing the Lord's work right there. Yes. He is. Really is. Did you buy anything at the craft fair that day? Um, Oh my God. Charlie bought me a ring and I made a joke. He was like, well, what size would you need? And you, and I was like, Char, uh, you don't even know my ring size. It's been six years and we don't even know a ring size for the love. And the poor guy proposed, I mean, truth be told, he didn't know my ring size. It was quite large, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's better yeah. large than small though. That was fine. And that's what his thought process was. Very, that very was- accurate, Kate. That was really ballsy of him to buy you a ring and make a joke about not knowing your size when he knew he was proposing in like three hours. He's like, he's very, very, very good at surprises. I'm big on being surprised. I love being surprised. So I feel like every year he surprises me in like different ways, but every year the poor kid has to get more and more creative because I know like little things that he does and I'll be like, hmm. And uh, yeah, like my brothers are terrible at surprises, but Charlie is excellent so i'm always surprised with him but yeah i'm not surprised jason and robbie are bad at surprises they're like (laughs) a bull in a china shop in every 
Literally. So you grew up in a two boy, one girl household. Casey and I obviously are just prim and proper little angels. We have no idea what it's like to be, to have a male sibling around. What was it like growing up with two clinically insane brothers around Christmas time? It was insane. I mean, I have to say not more or less insane than every other day because every day was just an experience. (laughs) An experience. My girlfriends were even like scared to sleep over at points because they were frightening Um, and like in strange ways. Like they used to make us go on scavenger hunts with our own things. So like my girlfriends lost their shoes, like their school (laughs) shoes that cost their parents money. Gone, never to be found again. And they left all the while laughing. Like Jason and Robbie would just hide the shoes and then be like around the neighborhood, like in trees, very high up. (laughs) One was on a roof. I think we just couldn't get it back. Yeah. My girlfriend Kim never Kim Kim never slept over again. (laughs) She said no. Like "Mm -hmm." I'm out. (laughs) I don't get it. I'm not down with this. So uh, around Christmas time, it wasn't. It wasn't anything more or less crazy, but we always had a great time. We all hopped into our parents' bed before it went down. So my mom would go check if Santa came first and then she would get the video camera up. And I would give so much money to see those videos now, but she would have the video camera up and we would all run downstairs and we were always waiting for Robbie to get up though. And I think looking back on it, that he did it on purpose. What do you, what do you normally do in your classroom for the holidays? And what are you going to do this year? Because I think a lot of parents are kind of teachers this year in some situations. So this could be a, applicable advice for a lot more people than it normally would this year. Right, right. I, um, so from my perspective right now, I am lucky enough, all of my kids decided to come to school. Um, a lot of classrooms have virtual kids still, but I have all my students in. They all came out, oh, whoever was virtual originally came out and they're with me. So I don't really have um, the virtual experience, but I do from my husband's standpoint. But from mine, we, um, we go all out. So before I left on Wednesday, we went, it was a half And how old are your kids that you teach? Oh, yes, I teach preschool. They're little, uh, little angel babies, three, four, and five years old. Oh, my God. So we are big on the holidays. Anything fun, we're big on. So um, when everybody went home on Wednesday before the Thanksgiving break, I stayed at school and just went ham in the classroom. So everything's decorated. There's a Christmas tree up. Um, our elf is there. He left little candy canes and everybody's uh, on the tree for them that says I'm always watching and a note in their mailboxes. And so when they come back on Monday tomorrow, it's like full holiday all the time. It's just full speed to, uh, to December 25th. So I love it. They get so excited. And um, case the second one was how, uh, how am I doing things differently this year? Oh yeah. But if you're in the classroom, yeah. Is there anything different? Uh, nothing crazy. It's things that they would be none the wiser about. Like I know that I used to do it, but they don't know that it's missing. So like their parents used to come in and make gingerbread houses with them. We used to have a party with cupcakes. So I think more, and, um, I think more parents are really missing out this year because, those Pinterest mommies can't do what they love to do is like, you know, make the cupcakes with the snowman that they've been working on and practicing and, you know, making those little gift bags for kids because they can't accept gifts from outside just from me. 
So that's okay. a little different. Um, but the kids, the kids don't know that they're missing that, you know, so it's nothing. I mean, it's still all fun in my room, but the virtual aspect is very wild, very, very, very wild. But I will tell you from a, a teacher's perspective that teachers are working doubly like to teach virtually, but the parents are going above and beyond just as much to assist with that because it's different and it's a crazy, crazy year. But um, you definitely can't discount the teachers teaching virtually because they're working their little behinds off. But the parents are also going crazy as well. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to say, you know, but definitely make them know that they're appreciated, but you don't have to go that crazy, you know? Yeah, definitely. just maybe even some kind words, a nice email would be a nice thing to give to any virtual teacher. Yeah. I mean, even if your virtual teacher is above and beyond and just awesome and your kiddo is doing great, which there are plenty of those teachers. Um, I got last year when we all, when we were virtual, I got a lot of gift cards from Amazon to my email. So they would put them on my account, which who can go wrong with that? That was so so sweet and so generous of them, but just like, you know, thanking me. What is no that? exchanging, physically exchanging of gifts necessary. That's true. That's a great idea. Right. What is it like teaching preschoolers virtually? That must be like trying to herd cats. Like I can't even imagine. It is tough. Um, but we got through it perfectly last year. And I think a lot of that was because I knew my kids and they knew their friends and they went on and they were so excited to be on with their peers and me and see us. Um, and we had a really good um, schedule last year. This year I started off in person, thank God, because that's where I think I'd be like, oh my goodness, how am I gonna, like, I'd have to literally be Blippy. Do you guys know Blippy? The crazy guy wears a hat? It's a preschool thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd literally have to be crazy though to get them just to like like me and like want to see me because how are you supposed to get a three four and five year old on a computer when they don't even know anybody so I got lucky um there but I have heard from other teachers that are virtual and they're having a really hard time you know it's tricky yes. just make it fun it's preschool make it fun Casey told me something about you once forgetting the words to deck the halls mm -hmm. can you mm -hmm. take us on that journey was a, it's a tough journey. Um, well, it was a tough journey, but I will, I will gladly guide you guys through it. Bear with me here. Cause this is a tough one. So, um, Casey and I, well, our parents really <laughs> wanted us, our moms wanted us to, um, you know, follow our dreams of being actresses one day. So they enrolled us in the Spring Lake music theater. And that is like a big thing around us. They have very beautiful productions. So they were really aiming high for them and I love them for that. So, um, so we, tragic. I really was. So we, um, we had to audition for Scrooge, which is their biggest production of the year. Like, and they have beautiful, again, beautiful productions. So I'm thinking, this is nutty. I can't sit. This raspy voice is what you get when I try. So, um, I just, I knew it was going to be a disaster. My mom was like, you can do it. Don't worry. So, uh, I can't hold a tune. So we go into this big auditorium. Everybody's staring at you and like, like adults, like adults. And we're, how old were we, Casey? 12? Like nine. 
A nine? Yeah. yeah. Something crazy. So we go in, these two little girls, <laughs> and it's my turn to go up. I have to go up first. So I walk up on stage, and now I'm just full-blown panic. Just can't, <laughs> can't go, can't turn back. It's here. I'm like, you know what? Just own it. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's fine. I get up on stage. And I begin. So it's, you know, deck the halls with boughs of holly, blah, 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 blah. All right, get to the next line. Not even the next verse, next line. Full blown panic. I got nothing. <laughs> Nothing's coming out of the pipes. No words are falling into the mind. I have absolutely nothing. And I look down at the pianist, God bless her soul, wording to me the next lines. And I could not understand what she was saying. So I did, you know, what I thought the only thing possible was to do at that moment and go back to the only lines I did know, which was fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la. But I kind of, in my nervousness, combined fa and la to just one long, like, fa-la-la-la. And I uh, finished there. They kind of cut the music, and that was that. I think I might have gotten around a pause of applause, but I... Uh, I went back to my seat and Casey was like, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and bless her soul. I listened. I was like, sure did. <laughs> you did. Right there. You gave the people a show, Courtney. What are we here for if not to entertain? <laughs> my God. It was, it was not a great look, but Casey had my back the whole way. I just remember her being like, you incredible absolutely incredible <laughs> well neither one of us got cast that year molly but uh no, i can't we believe like... how did your audition go case i mean i i remembered the words so that was a step in the right direction i think i sang rudolph the red-nosed reindeer so like i don't even know how you could make that sound good but i also can't carry a tune i i don't think it was good but courtney and i like a couple hours later we're back like looking for the names on the list like <laughs> Did they pick us? Like, am I going to be the ghost of Christmas present or whatever the little girl was in there? <laughs> like, no, nothing. Nothing. That is so cute. They missed out because you guys are two of the most entertaining people. Maybe not so much for a dramatic production, but for a comedy. Like, that is where you guys should. Like, if they were doing The Grinch or Elf the musical, you both would have been shoo-ins. Oh, thank you. You're the best, Mal. Thanks for the support. Yeah. Avita Kennedy saw that, Casey. Avita Kennedy, our fifth grade teacher, she knew. She we knew. Were Olga Oxford and, and Carla Carlotta Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> and we <laughs> and we <laughs> we were these supposed to play two like old, very proper teachers in one of her plays, and uh, I think we were about ten at that point as well. And then it ended with us like taking our hair down and dancing off stage to live in La Vida Loca. Wow. So we had our moment. Don't worry about us. Oh, yeah. We're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do a little Christmas rapid fire round. Oh, boy. So, Courtney, what is your favorite Christmas drink? Oh, Christmas drink? Um, eggnog. What's your Christmas hangover cure? Champagne or tequila. <laughs> You combined Just, Jess and Carlos's answers. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Were they really? <laughs> yeah, Carlos's was tequila and Jess's was champagne. <laughs> I didn't hear that episode. What is your favorite Christmas food? There is zero rapid fire here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Love a good Christmas bun in the morning. A Christmas bun? bun? Like a Christmas cinnamon bun. bun. The cinnamon buns? Yes. Not a Christmas bun. <laughs> They're cinnamon buns. <laughs> it is Christmassy in its own special way, but you could have it all year. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. Anything, anything cinnamon <laughs> is Christmas. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. On Christmas Day, it's a Christmas bun. For sure. Absolutely. 100%. What's your favorite Christmas movie? The Holiday. Mm, such a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. Or Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Santa a really Claus. good one, too. Yeah. yeah, that's a sleeper. I always forget about that one, but it was, like, my favorite growing up. I think we actually saw the third one in theaters together, Casey. I don't doubt that at all. Makes sense. <laughs> and the Polar Express. I had the hot chocolate song from Polar Express stuck in my head today and I kept singing it to Nick and he was like wow that sounds like the worst song ever and I was like it kind of is but I love it the hot chocolate song (laughs) hey we got it hot hot Ooh, we got it and I sang it to him and I was like isn't that good and he was like I guess you had to be there (laughs) oh god Charlie one time we were on we were at SantaCon and we were all just at Santa Clauses and started this big karaoke, like out on the street with this with these girls. It was awesome. And they had a microphone and everything. And then Charlie got up and sang like the really somber song, like children. And everybody just started walking away. Oh no. Why did he sing that one? It's his favorite Christmas song. And I think he just had so much to drink. He was so disappointed. He's like, we're going home. <laughs> He was that an Asbury Park? Like, yeah, in Asbury Park. <laughs> he thought everyone was going to be like, wow. He thought they was going to know. Well, they had a cane, so they, like, caned him off, too, when people started leaving. And Charlie was like, you guys don't know anything. <laughs> uh, justice for Charlie. Good <laughs> movie all in all. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I wanted to add also on the eggnog front that Courtney's nan is the one who made me eggnog crazy to begin with. She introduced us to eggnog, boozeless eggnog, of course, when we were like 10. And we would go over to Nan's every Christmas and decorate her tree. She would give us little eggnog as a reward. And I've been hooked ever since. Cute. So we, we got a shout out, Nan. Oh, because, God bless yeah. We am. <laughs> Thanks, Nan. I gain about 15 pounds every season because <laughs> of you now. <laughs> we blame her. We blame her. <laughs> blame her. And that's on she used God. to yell to Casey would be like in college and she'd be like, why hasn't Casey done my tree this year? And I was like, you gotta let the girl go, man. Court, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with uh, for the holiday season? I don't know. I guess just, you know, don't let what's happening right now get you down. You know, be safe. You can still, though, have a great time staying a healthy distance apart and rocking a mask, but uh, have a good time. Don't forget it's the holidays. Enjoy it. This is like, this should bring us so much happiness right now. I'm so pumped that it's finally here. Yes, it really is so much better having at least something to look forward to and lights up and stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. You and your leg lamp have really made our day. I'm going to actually probably order one online. After Bed, Bath & Beyond. Oh, I have a gift certificate to Bed, Bath & Beyond right now. We got it. Oh, the clapper is not the selling point anyway. It's fine. It's so nice to walk down memory lane with her. And mentally, I will be at the St. Peter's Craft Fair for the rest of the month. Preach. Now, 
One really big thing that we love in our family, and I think a lot of people will relate, is the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's like permission. It gives us permission to start celebrating Christmas. And this year, they really pulled it together. And watching it, you would not have really known that it was that different from any other year. I think they did a really good job on it. Yeah, Were you so able to true. watch in London? Yeah, I had to sort of rig myself a setup. So I had to get a VPN. I had to get a free trial of a TV service. Long story short, my computer thought that I was in California, so I could only watch it in Calif- on California time. So I couldn't get the, the parade on until 5 p.m. my time. Oh, man. Yeah, it's even so, worse since you were in London. Yes. Because I, I didn't realize that they delay it by an hour for central time, too, because everything else on TV we get to watch at the same time as East eastern standard time which i love because like i don't want to watch the bachelor at eight i want to watch it at seven that's that's better for everyone yeah so i thought it would be the same and it was delayed by an hour which is annoying because i i couldn't talk to anyone from home about it at the time it was going on which is yeah you exactly don't want you felt you don't want parade spoilers and no i loved it though i loved seeing hamilton in it i loved everything it was great i also thought that jimmy fallon singing was kind of a weird choice but it made me so happy I was like, why is Jimmy Fallon singing Dancing in the Street? There are so many real singers who could be singing right now. Strange choice. I guess they're trying to just give him a little ratings boost since he's part of the NBC family. But yeah, what did you think about that? Well, he's also on that Dolly Parton Christmas album doing a duet with her this year. So maybe he's conspiring to change careers. Yeah, that is so random. He's already got a career that it's pretty great. Like pretty lucky to have. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think we need to keep an eye on him because yeah. he's he's making moves towards maybe he's trying to egot. Oh God, yeah, that would be crazy. That would be <laughs> yeah. truly crazy. The dog show also I didn't get to see because it was just too late on my thing that I was watching through. But how was it? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was it was pretty much the same as every year, except they had fake doggies in the stands, like they've been doing with a lot of sporting events. It was just pictures of dogs in the stands. But otherwise, it was like a pretty normal event. And I, I never realized before how like that's kind of probably a way to get people to buy, like adopt puppies before Christmas. Like the timing is perfect, oh. you know, because you're and you're looking at every breed and you're like, oh, yeah. So we were halfway through it and I was like, we should have put money on, on these pups, you know? Did you have it that the Scottish Deerhound would win? I've never heard of that breed in my life. No, no. But what a, what a cute little gal, Claire, the Scottish Deerhound. Really she, cute. She rocked it. So yeah, good for her. She was adorable and it was really nice to watch. And the one other thing I would mention about the parade is they did that land acknowledgement, um, by some of the Native American tribes that are like from the tri-state area originally, like the Lenape and a couple others, I think. And that was the first time they've ever honored Native people in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which is wild. crazy, yeah. How is that possible that it's the first time? God. I don't know, but I'm glad that they did and I hope they keep that a tradition every year. Now, Dolly Parton is rapidly emerging as one of the biggest slash only heroes of 2020. And part of that is because she funded the COVID vaccine, obviously. And I think a smaller but still significant part of that is her new Christmas special, Christmas on the Square. So there's a lot to unpack with this Christmas special. 
Yes. I didn't really know what to expect going in. What I got was absolutely insane. I texted all my friends and told them to watch it immediately. And we got in touch with Carrie Whitmer. She is a TV and culture critic. She writes for a bunch of incredible publications that everyone loves to read, like Vulture and things like that. So Carrie was kind enough to help us try and make sense of this absolutely insane piece of cinema. We're here with Carrie Whitmer. She is a TV and culture critic. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Us too. So I was looking on my Twitter while I was watching Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, and I saw your tweet, and I was like, okay, I, we need to talk about this. The, the tweet about how it starts with Dolly Parton as a homeless person in fully glam makeup. Yes. <laughs> Face beat to the gods, but also homeless. Yes, and it really sets the tone for the film, I think. Yeah, it does. Do you think there's anyone else besides Dolly Parton who could pull off glam homeless person makeup without getting canceled? Probably Cher. That's a good, I yeah. Think, I, I think it's like only those like music icons of like the 60s and 70s. Like it's only them. Like Madonna could not do it. No. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. not. It's ones who have a little bit of like plausible deniability, I guess. Like mm -hmm. with Dolly Parton or Cher, we're just like, you know what? Anything they do that's problematic, we're just going to assume that they didn't know it was problematic and they had the best intentions and that's fine. Yeah, I also think that it probably helped my opinion on the movie and that part in particular that the news that she donated money for that coronavirus vaccine came out like a few days before the movie came out on Netflix. Right. Absolutely. It's That's like, so okay, you donated a million dollars to fight this virus. You can pretend to be a homeless person in a yeah. Christmas movie, I guess. You've <laughs> earned it at that point. <laughs> so Carrie, walk us through your emotions and reactions that you experienced while yes. watching this film. I, I would love to. So I wouldn't call, my reactions weren't, weren't necessarily emotional. So I watched it on Thanksgiving evening. I had had a, I think I had like three glasses of wine which was the perfect amount of wine to have to like not fall asleep and to enjoy the movie. If I had only had two, I probably would have turned it off. Um, but my reactions were more so physical. Like I was literally screaming, like what? What the, <laughs> like I was literally just like cursing at the TV. Um, I was like getting up and pacing the room um, and I was gasping. I, I, I literally could not believe what was happening. Um, but I was like buzzed enough that I was having a good time. That's great. What, what was the outcome of this film versus what you got? Oh my God. Like I what mean, were you expecting versus what happened? I was, I think that I was expecting it to be like more of like a Christmas shoes vibe. Like, you know, that Christmas shoes movie, is it Rob Lowe who's in that? I Maybe actually, that I can't believe this is the first time Christmas shoes is coming up on this <laughs> podcast because like whenever we're not filming or recording, I'm always like, we got to tackle Christmas shoes at some point and it's never come up. So what I, I hate Christmas shoes. The, the song mm -hmm. kills me. 
And so I've never watched the movie. I mean, it's exact, the movie is exactly what happens in the song. Um, But I, I, forgive me if I am wrong to people who are listening, but I think it's Rob Lowe or like a Rob Lowe type who's in it. I don't know. Maybe it's Rob Lowe's brother. Who knows? Um, But I guess I was expecting the vibe to be like, it is very, I just looked it up. It is Rob Lowe. Wow. I think I was expecting it to be like a very sincere and like one of those very sincere Christmas movies, which I think it is, but it's also so chaotic to the point that I thought, is this like satire? Like, is this making fun of itself? Um, I, and I don't think it is, um, which is like kind of unfortunate. Um, but I, I was just expecting it to be like fully sincere and like not chaotic at all like I think I I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to be chaotic because it's Dolly Parton but I was just expecting it to be like sweet and cute and forgettable but it's like the opposite of that but in a bad way it's (laughs) like also in a good way it's like low-grade trauma a lot of this movie do you think that Christine Baranski was playing her character with a wink and a nod I think she had a little bit like she had to have been in on the joke a little bit yeah so Sorry to brag, but on my letterbox review, I said Christine Baranski was asleep the whole time and she still (laughs) deserves an Oscar. Like, like, I I don't know if Christine Baranski read the screenplay or was really fully processing the words she was saying, Um, but it also feels like she gave one of the best performances that I've ever seen because she wasn't laughing the whole time. She actually said in an interview, I didn't even need to read the script. I heard Dolly Parton and I was in. And it's like, okay, so she didn't read the script. That actually makes complete sense. Yes. <laughs> Checks out. That makes sense. I mean, she's she's great. I, I think Christine Baranski is like the reason why it's acceptable. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, she kind of brought a different element to the movie than everyone else. Yeah. Do you want to maybe sum up for any listeners who aren't going to watch it, Carrie? Could you sum up oh, the God. plot in like two or three sentences? I know two this or is three an sentences. impossible task. This is an impossible task because there's so much going on, and I recommend that everyone watch it, even if it's painful, even if it feels like there's needles in your eyes, you have to finish it. Um, but the plot is essentially Christine Baranski is like a bad bitch who comes to this town and says, "I'm." I was drunk when I watched this. So she comes to the town and is like, you guys all have to leave. I'm like buying this town and I'm going to build a mall. Is it a mall? She grew up in the town. She grew up in the town. Her dad sort of bequeathed it to her. He was this beloved figure in the town. So she owns it, but she's been out being, you know, a neo-lib business lady for her entire life. And now she has come back to the town and she's like, screw you. I'm selling it to build a mall. And it's like, she also has a secret that unfolds throughout the movie and everyone in the town like hates her and she's this monster. Um, And Dolly Parton is like an angel. Um, Literal angel, yeah. Literal angel um, with like magic powers. Yeah. I I, I guess like, I'm really bad at summarizing, but you did a much better job than me. But I I was also like half drunk when I was watching it. So I'm just like, what is going on? You have to. (laughs) When I was watching it, I was like, I wish I took an edible because I actually feel yeah. Oh, I wrote in my notes that at many times throughout this film, I thought that I had accidentally taken an edible <laughs> because I couldn't believe what was happening in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of feeling. Yeah. 
I would say it's like the cats of 2020. That's what uh, I was saying to some of my friends. It's like, you think it goes that far though? The first dance number is when they're all in the town square. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is like Jellicle vibes. Like, yeah, especially, gonna pop especially out. when the couple, is it the preacher and his wife? Like, like, I think should they like start singing about her infertility? And I'm just like, this is going to be a wild ride. And I, I'm glad you said cats because I, in, in your like notes for the podcast, you said like, is there a movie you could compare this to? I know I already said Christmas shoes, like what I was expecting, but I wrote, I can't compare this to any movie except if like Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote an episode of Touched by an Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what that show was called? Um, But that's exactly what the vibe is. Wow, you just nailed it. That really <laughs> nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> wow, I thought it did also have overtones of a Christmas carol, just because mm-hmm. of the angel who's sort of like showing. But it's funny because it doesn't it doesn't take the Christmas carol blueprint further. It sort of devolves it a little bit because yeah. there are fewer angels. I don't know. So we, I noticed something that really bothered me in this film was the way they demonized Christine Baranski's character. So let's just go for it and talk about the plot twist because anyone who wants to watch this movie, skip forward because we're about to spoil it, but I'm pretty sure anyone who's going to watch it has probably watched it by now. So there's this big plot twist that Christine Baranski, she actually had a child when she was younger who she gave up for adoption And they don't really go into why. It's just sort of like, well, of course she would because she was an unwed mother and that's despicable kind of vibe. Like they never really go into any sort of deep thought about shaming women or shaming mothers or anything like that. But so it's revealed that she had this kid and the kid is Pastor Christian, which is absurd that that's his name. His name is literally Pastor Christian. (laughs) Just in case you didn't understand that, like Christianity is the way, the truth and the light. And... So it turns out the guy who's been railing against this mall project is actually her son. So the crazy thing, well, there's so many crazy things. I can't even say the crazy thing. But one crazy thing that happened was there was this song, the only memorable song, I would say. It's called The Wickedest Witch of the Middle. And all the townsfolk are in the church because there is no church separation of church and state in this town. It, everything happens in the church and there is no mayor. There is no head of state. It is only pastor Christian. And they're all kind of fantasizing openly about the ways that they would torture and murder Christine Baranski's character. So Carrie, as you do in church, so right? Is, well, exactly. What else are you going to do in church? This is the part, this song was the part where I, like there were many parts where I already said, I felt like I had taken an edible. This is, where I was like, did someone feed me acid? Like what, what is going on? I could not believe it was real. This was, this was the part, this was the first part of the movie of many more times where I got up off my couch and just started pacing the room, like while it was happening. And I just like kept pausing it and rewinding and be like, did they, like what? Like, did they like, I remember there's like a line where I think there's like an older woman who like is about to say that she would kill her and then they like have like someone else like stop her from singing that and i'm just like how like 
like all the other things you guys are saying are also just as bad. Like I, I don't understand why this one woman isn't allowed to just say that she would straight up murder her. Yeah. Um, but that's it. That's basically what the song is. And I, this was the part where I was like, just like, I, I did not understand the tone of this movie. Like I, I just was like, is this supposed to be ironic? Like, is this like some kind of like, I, I was very confused because I was like, do they all actually think she's evil? Does Dolly Parton, who wrote this song, actually think that this character is super evil and deserves to die and be tortured? Or is this like some kind of like deep feminist commentary on like Christian people being like these super Christian people in this small town, like not like accepting a woman who is different than them? I don't know. I think it's the first. I don't think it's as deep as I'm giving it credit for, but I hope that it is. Yeah, I think so too. I think that what we saw in that number and what this whole movie is, is a witch hunt. Like on my other podcast, Diva Behavior, I had Christian J, Kristen J. Soleil on a few weeks ago for Halloween for an episode about witches and witch hunts. And it is textbook what this is. Like they're demonizing a woman for not fitting into the perfect docile wife and mother role and instead being like an evil business lady who's gotten too big for her britches and is a little too uppity and they're literally talking about the physical harm that they wish to do to her from inside a church it's yeah literally the crucible it's (laughs) it really is it's like the worst aspects of christianity laid bare as a beautiful dance number where everybody's just like jumping over the pews and doing like kickball changes. Yeah, so I, I, I did, I did enjoy it. Like I enjoyed the number visually, I think. Like I think, and throughout the whole movie, like most of the songs are really forgettable and boring, but a lot of the like dancing and stuff was pretty fun. Like for, it seemed like they were on a pretty tight budget, but they made the most out of all that. But then I was like, the words that are coming out of your mouths are really disturbing. Yes. Yeah, and that witch song just went on for a while too, and like it you learn so nothing long. new. Like I was just watching, like, oh my god, how long are they gonna keep singing this? <laughs> <laughs> like we get it. <laughs> like it's just great. And then of course she walks in to the church towards the end of it. Oh and- yeah, while they're like still singing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like, wow. And also just the fact of the wicked witch of the middle. The middle, oh, yeah. like they never established where this town so, was. So I, th- so I do think at some point the word Kansas is said, yes. but it's way after that song happens. So it's like I think that song they were like attempting to establish that it's the Midwest, but also the middle is never really a term that's used for the Midwest. It's Midwest. I think. So I was confused. I think it's supposed to be a literal interpretation of middle America. And I think they may have alluded to, they want to build the mall there because it will be the, the geographic middle of America. And that's like a big selling point for why they want to put the mall there. So So, then, yeah. Yeah. I also, something I also want to ask you guys about, about this song was just like the reference to the wizard of oz was just completely out of nowhere and it's just like never really referenced again like like they kind of mentioned like the there's like the wicked witch of the east and the west and like they say that christine baranski is worth worse than both of them and i'm like i i really don't think so like she's just doing her job like i don't know like shutting down a whole town for a mall is not great but she's also just doing her job 
Um, also, like, let's get to the reason why she did want to shut the whole town down because <laughs> I think they probably shamed her for being pregnant out of wedlock. And like, not for nothing, but as someone who's been publicly shamed in a small town, I would sell that shit up the river <laughs> three days. Me too. I, I don't go, I don't, I haven't been to my hometown in like almost a decade because I don't really have any friends there. Yeah, so it's like, they're, they're framing it as like, oh, look at these hardworking middle Americans who are getting all their fun ruined by this terrible, evil Hillary Clinton business lady. <laughs> and like, and her side of the story is I was not allowed to thrive in this town because I was different and because I didn't mm -hmm. follow their rules. So why do we need to preserve this? Why do I need to ignore the, you know, natural thing that's happening, which is that the town can be sold for a mall. Like, why do I need to preserve this place that did not care for me and did not want me to thrive, you know? Yeah. But also a mall maybe was not the right choice. Like, I feel like an Amazon warehouse would have made more <laughs> right? sense in 2020. It, it, yeah. felt, it felt very, like, this film could have been, if, if someone told me that it was made in 1996, I would have believed them. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think was um, Dolly Parton's purpose in creating this film because oh I God. think I'm thinking from all of this that she wanted to just celebrate small towns but then the plot got away it's, from her maybe? yeah I, I I feel like also I was getting it, it's it felt a lot like Christian propaganda and I think not like I don't think she was purposely doing it but I think that she probably based on this movie in particular she is like a Christian woman and of the south where like I grew up in the south like around like a lot of Christian women um but it seemed like she was almost trying to like make here's a Christmas movie that keeps Christ in Christmas but it was also not even really a Christmas movie besides the fact that it just all these events happen to occur around Christmas the Christmas time so which is true. one of my yeah. it's, a, it's I guess that you could say that about every single Christmas movie but it just like at least other Christmas movies like integrate like something about Christmas into the narrative where this didn't really um in any way um I, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I think that she was really just sincerely trying to make a Christmas movie that was about, like, Christianity, which is what I think a lot of Christians love about Christmas. Um, and I, I, I don't think that it works. Really? Do you think there's, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> Do you think there's anything she could have done differently that would have made it work with these plot elements? With with the same plot elements, I think if it was a little bit more exaggerated and a little there, if there was a little more comic relief, a little less sexist, and just like more of the, maybe more of the weird angel content, um, that was probably the best part. Like it was just like so weird that she just like mysteriously becomes very tiny and can like turn the other angel, like put the other angel in a, like a ballet studio randomly yeah, and she has no idea ballet? what was going on <laughs> it was so and she was like forcing her to do ballet I'm just like what is going on um but I, I but that was like one of my that was the most memorable part of the movie even though all of that stuff didn't make sense that was the most memorable memorable part even though like she didn't really establish at all like why are these angels assigned people and why does Christine Baranski get two of them 
was really weird. Um, I liked the really weird stuff, and I wish that it was more about, like, Dolly Parton's weird angel. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, the angel training camp was a high point for sure. <laughs> yes. So I couldn't believe that the solution for Christine Baranski's character was for her to turn her back on the corporate world in favor of motherhood. It was just so on the nose. Yeah, that also felt like rooted in the Christian and the Christian message and like the kind of Southern Midwestern um, culture that was that she's probably influenced by. But that was that was so weird because it's like that I feel like that's such an old trope for like a female character to be um finally redeemed because she's a mom. Like that's why like the last season of Game of Thrones didn't work because they were like relying on low Cer- oh, well Cersei's a mom so you have to feel bad that she died even though she did all this stuff. That was terrible. Like it do- it doesn't work and it's a sexist trope. Like you can redeem yourself without being a mother um you could just like become a good person and it doesn't matter if you have a child or not um so that was that was really frustrating and it also that whole like plot like the end of that it just didn't really feel like the same movie because they never built up to it like there were never any hints throughout the movie really that she was pastor is it pastor christian's mom like it was just like randomly at the end when she finds out Right after she, I, I have to, I have to mention this, that whole like plot where they were like, Christine Baranski thought that she had a brain tumor, but it was just like, oh no, you're actually just a horrible person. You don't have a brain tumor. That was so <laughs> weird. She sort of mentioned the brain tumor in passing like yeah. once or twice. And then she literally runs into her doctor on the street and he's like, by the way, you don't have a brain yeah. tumor. And it's like, what? <laughs> Is this one of those examples of a movie that's just throwing everything at you? Like, we'll mm-hmm. we'll throw in a, a pregnancy and a brain tumor and a car accident and all of the things just to and see what ki- sticks. Yeah, a- and a kid bartender who, like, convinces Christine Baranski to change her ways. That was cute. <laughs> yeah, it was cute, yeah. but also then when she gets hurt or whatever and she's in the <laughs> hospital and the whole town is, like, losing their shit for a week and then randomly as part of a song number dolly parton goes and like sprinkles dust on her and she wakes up mm-hmm. it's like why didn't you do that a week ago like this kid has been in a coma what yeah are you doing? i i also feel like something that is perhaps irked me the most about this movie was that i think that it's suggesting that angels are real um like i i don't think i i don't know like i i it convinced me that dolly parton thinks that angels are real and like something like that is not medicine that's like an angel sprinkling dust on a child and she survives um i i i hope that that wasn't her intent but that's what it felt like it was which is really really disturbing to me i really liked the ending in the church when she was all lit up and like bright white and glowing (laughs) and singing that one song i was just like whoa like visually i i was a big fan of that moment I, I mean, I, I almost feel like she wrote the movie so she could have that moment for herself. And I respect that very much. I would do, if I was Dolly Parton, I would do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Did you think that, that I was really weirded out by the actor who played Pastor Christian. I just thought he was such a strange person. Maybe not the <laughs> actor, but just the, 
the vibe, maybe that was his performance was to be super weird and creepy, but it was just very strange. I guess I, I grew up, um, in, I went to Catholic school and I like had to go to church and stuff. And like, I was forced to go to like youth group and stuff. We and same with us. Yeah. So you guys know, like, I feel like those guys of like that age, like pastors or like youth ministers who are around that age, who are like pretty young, kind of have that creepy vibe. Just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he was trying to have that vibe. I don't think that he was trying um like many other people in the film I don't think he was really trying um but <laughs> I, I think he na- exactly he nailed it like I was like I know this person like I know these creepy um church men um like it, it wasn't like a vibe where it felt like he was like doing anything morally wrong it was just like you just seemed really weird like an weird energy wanna, a weird energy that I never want to be around definitely so what do you think this film says about Dolly Parton's politics or worldview? Gosh, I feel like I kind of already said, like, I just think she's super Christian and really, really cares about that. But I, but I don't think that's bad. Like, I feel like I, it sounds like maybe I'm trashing Christian people. I'm not, but I think that the way she packaged it is kind of condescending to people who aren't. Um, I don't think that wasn't intentional. I think that Dolly Parton clearly has like very sincere intentions, but she's also very much herself and is like just grew up in a different era where I think Christianity Christianity was a little more normal and like more popular, I guess, um, in the U.S. And I it felt very like Dolly Parton has a keep keep Christ in Christmas bumper sticker on her car. Um, so does my mom, I will say. Um, but it felt like, like my mom, my mom will love this movie. Um, so I, like, sincerely. Um, so I, I think she really just wanted to be like, here's a Christmas movie that's about, like, the true meaning of Christmas, even though the entire movie is not really even about Christmas. Right. I, I agree. And I think, you know, of course, she is super Christian and everything. And I think that's all well and good. And it clearly is very important to her. And she clearly finds a lot of power in her faith. And that's great. The only thing that I wish was that they examined a little bit more, like, like I said, the shaming of women who have children outside of wedlock and don't adhere to like Christian or Catholic norms, because that is, that to me was like, they buried the lead, the whole movie about how this woman she felt like she had to turn her back on her hometown where she grew up because they, because she was so scared of how they would judge her and she didn't want to relive this painful moment that didn't have to be a painful moment, you know? So I just felt like, you know, that was a missed opportunity and maybe yeah. a, a remake that goes into that. No one's going to ever remake this film. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like she'll probably do a sequel, but I feel like it, it's not even that hard of a fix. You could keep the movie as is, but have like toward the end when at the end when everyone finds out she's preacher pastor Christian's mom you just have the basically the whole town have a more sincere like collective apology to her for how they treated her and or you just make the wicked witch of the west song not very violent (laughs) (laughs) do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with um my one parting thought is immediately after i watched christmas on the square i watched the princess switch 2 switched again and that 
is a fucking banger. Like yes. I, it, it's, I, I remember I, the, I was really looking forward to the first Princess Switch and I was kind of disappointed. I was like, this is like, okay, but like, come on, like you have so much to work with here. Vanessa Hutchins is wild. And like this movie was just kind of like, okay, this one, like it's the most camp performance I've ever seen in my life, I think. Um, it's great. It's a lot of fun. They've really amped it up for the sequel. I agree. I think the sequel was was even better with that third yeah. character in there. And and the sets and the costumes were like honestly on the level of the crown. I I was very impressed. Wow, maybe yeah. I do need to watch that. Casey's been trying to get me to watch it cuz <laughs> Oh, it's so fun. Them. Just just watch it. It's 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 really really fun. No, no, they they do a pretty good like summary of the first movie at the beginning of the second. You don't have to watch it. I, I have seen the it. first one. That's okay. why I was like, I can't watch this second one because this was just so ridiculous. But maybe I will because what else am I doing? I mean, yeah, really- the, the the second one is just like ridiculous in the best way. Like they really went for it. They That's- they gave no fucks. It's yes, great. exactly. That's good to know. I feel like yeah. yeah Christmas on the Square would have had that quality. Like, it would have been better even if they had just gone for it and been like, Yeah. This is, but they did go for it. It couldn't have been much more ridiculous than it was. So, actually, I don't even know what I'm talking about. They just went for a lot of different things at the same time. And I think they were just like trying to please people who are not like me or both of you guys like I, I I just like it wasn't made for me and I think I'm kind of upset that a movie with Christine Baranski was not made specifically for me <laughs> exactly yeah she is the freaking best well yeah thank you so much Carrie this has been so enlightening so great you <laughs> I love what you said about how this film is if Touched by Angel was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> that is just so accurate. And thank apt. you. So I hope you have a great Christmas season and everything. You too. And thanks to everyone listening for listening to me talk. Um, and thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking about this chaotic have- motion picture. Do you have anything you want to promote or anything? Um, just my, I guess you can just follow me on Twitter. I tweet like way too often. And I also post my writing. I write for different publications um, like The Cut and The Ringer and Vulture and Consequence of Sound. So you can just follow me on there. It's Carrie's Not Scary um, mm-hmm. because I'm not. Um, so that's about it. You can just catch me post some of my blogs every now and then. Amazing. Thank you awesome. so, so much. I cannot wait to see Dolly Parton's next holiday film. Maybe she'll do Easter on the rhombus or something like that. <laughs> Easter on the rhombus could only be even crazier than this one. So I don't know if we want to will that into existence right now. But we also saw Dolly perform at the Thanksgiving Day Parade and like a true boss, she actually performed from Nashville. No need to perform from the actual parade itself in these times because there were no, there was nobody there to watch it anyway. And we're also going to see her on Wednesday night at the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting. She's going to be performing as well. That is amazing. Dolly is doing way more than we deserve as a nation and we love her for it. Another really interesting thing that happened this week was we've gotten word from several different news outlets that people really are getting excited for Christmas earlier this year. You know, we alluded to the fact that for a lot of people, Christmas doesn't start until Thanksgiving's over. But according to some Christmas tree farm owners, people have been starting a week earlier than usual. 
That's great. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe it's because we started this podcast. I think that's the only plausible explanation. And mm-hmm. more people than usual are going for real trees instead of artificial trees. Wow. See, that is interesting because what do you then do with your artificial tree? Like, how can all these people just abandon the artificial tree? Or are they, are they doing the thing where it's, let me have a tree in every room? Like Jess had mentioned, oh, maybe, maybe they're just adding extra trees to keep it. Because I got to say, walking downstairs and seeing my Christmas tree every morning has already added a lot of joy to my life. So maybe people are just doing whatever they can and adding trees to every room. Yeah. Do you know what? I think you're right. Because in the beginning of the pandemic, there were so many trend stories about people redecorating their houses because we're spending so much more time at home and we're just like, oh God, I need a new this. I need a new that. Like my house looks like crap. So maybe that is part of it. Maybe it's just an outgrowth of that. And people are thinking, yeah, I want a tree in every room. I was also thinking maybe people are going more toward the real tree because it's like the only thing you're allowed to do right now safely because it's an outdoor activity that you can do with your family and you're never going to be too close to all the other families. So it's just like, why don't we go and friggin' cut a tree down, which we would never normally do because normally there's a million things going on, especially if you have kids, you have no time. So they're like, well, we don't have anything else to do. We've already watched all of Netflix. We might as well go friggin' landscape for five hours for fun, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it could be the photo op too. Like maybe we'll see a lot more Christmas cards with photos of people cutting down the tree this year because it's like, do we want to go sit on Santa's lap? Maybe we'll just do the tree cutting down photo this year and leave that for next year. Yeah. I think we've nailed it. I think it's an outgrowth of both boredom and a desire to redecorate. So we cracked the case. Casey, did you know there are 82 new Christmas movies coming out this year? 82. Oh my that's, God. Yeah. That's what I saw on one website. They said 82 are coming out. I think most of them are going to be sort of the vibe that you go for of multiple Vanessa Hudgens or like C-list 90s sitcom stars. And those are great, but there is one new film that came out this year that I think is going to be a real prestige Christmas classic. And that film is Happiest Season. Definitely. I agree. I think that it's got the star power. It's got the high production quality. I think it's got what it takes to make it. And the coolest thing about it is it's not just a great film with a great script that really works well and is an awesome Christmas film, but it's the first Christmas rom-com really to have an LGBT couple at, at its center. So it's really great. I think hopefully it will be trend setting, but with the way Hollywood works, I mean, you know, they'll probably write it off as a fluke and then never make another one for 10 years, but it's a great film. I really enjoyed it. Didn't you? Yeah, I really did. It It was great to watch. Yeah. And it seems like really buzzy. Everyone's talking about it on Twitter and everything. So I think we've got a classic on our hands. And to help us unpack that classic and talk all about the greatest parts of Happiest Season are Melissa Radzimski and Jen Keith. We are here with Melissa Radzimski, social media pro, attorney at internet law, and comics slash actor Jen Keith. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Casey. Hey, thanks for having us. 
Now we're going to talk, of course, about happiest season, but first I need you to explain yourselves because there is literally nothing Christmassy about your setup whatsoever. And it's come to my attention that even though you guys are two of my favorite people in the world, you don't care about Christmas. (sighs) Okay. Okay. Putting words in our mouths. Um, but do you want to explain this? Well, I feel like number, I number one, we're a bi-coastal, you know, couple, and we just <laughs> just drove from Boston. Bi-coastal, we're talk- yeah, north coast to south coast. <laughs> okay, so we're New highly- England to Atlantic. Yeah, we're coast. a highly successful Atlantic seacoast bi-coastal couple. Yeah, just parked our Kia Soul 20 minutes ago. Um, so that's partly why yeah. our, our set design is subpar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, to answer your question, why we're not so into Christmas, I just had a bullet point about the movie that I made before we talked that Christmas movie is inherently Christian and Republican. Ooh. <laughs> um, not to say that being into Christmas is exclusively for republicans but like there's a little bit of a trope there like i don't know thinking about the people from high school that you grew up with that are like really into christmas and all the families are posting the mask matching pajamas when they're 30 years old you know you're just coming in hot jen you're just the the mole shines are quiet right now you're just (laughs) spitting in our faces and rubbing it in yeah, we're gonna have I to def- defend our position here. I know, I know. <laughs> no, you guys are no. Maybe you we're changing all ex- that. You're the exception. You're the yes. exception. You are not who I'm talking about. To be clear, you are like, right. Do you though, know Jen? who I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I made the, a similar observation either last week or the week before that the Venn diagram of Christmas adult and Disney adult is almost a full circle. (laughs) (laughs) And I cannot stand the idea of being a Disney adult and yet I am a Christmas adult. So yeah, Yeah. I have a lot of, this is a reckoning, an ongoing reckoning that I am having with myself. So I I mean, I'm not a conservative. I know, I know, know we know. know (laughs) And I would argue, I would argue as well, a lot of, today's Christmas traditions and movies have nothing to do with the baby Jesus himself. Mm, mm -hmm. That's true. Mm -hmm. Like such as the tree, Santa mm -hmm. Claus, Mm -hmm. boys, gift giving, lights. And then just to put another tick in Jen's column though, Mm -hmm. the religious aspect has given way to just an all-out celebration of capitalism, which is also inherently conservative. So Mm -hmm. now, uh, here we are. (laughs) Is the podcast canceled? It's over. It's done. (laughs) It's now a Festivist (laughs) podcast. But then I'm going to, I'm going to go against Jen because this is what I do for a living. Um, and I'm going to say that there are tons of things about Christmas that are gay as shit. I mean, it's super campy. They're all of these like wacky traditional things that you can't really put your finger on that like feel super campy and like festive and all of that. And so there are plenty of gays that we know that like Christmas is their Super Bowl. So it's like, it's a weird dichotomy, if you will. I have heard that before too. I actually Mm -hmm. have. So let's talk about happiest season. So happiest season is 
finally a Christmas rom-com with an LGBT couple at the center. I mean, it seems like this film is so buzzy and everyone's so excited about it. It's all over my Twitter and Instagram. And I'm hoping that it leads to more LGBT-centric Christmas films coming out. Do you guys think that will be the case? Or do you think it will be like Bridesmaids where they're like, this is the only all-woman film that will ever <laughs> do well and we will never replicate it? Like, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, that's such a good point. I do think that for the like lesbian Christmas movie genre, it's going to be a, a minute until there's <laughs> another one because this happened, to be honest. Yeah, I, I do find it interesting that like a lot of the big, well, not a lot, but two really huge lesbian focused movies involve Christmas. Like if you think about Carol, that for sure is a Christmas movie. Um, I like how you're like, if you think about Carol and not yeah. when you think about Carol, because I know, <laughs> Melissa, you personally are thinking about Carol 23 hours a day. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. I didn't want to, you know, come across too strong, but thank you for like, <laughs> you know, really uh, bringing that home. Um, yeah, so like, it's just really weird how the two big-ish movies involving lesbians involve Christmas. And I I don't know, what do you think of that? Mm. It, I, I wouldn't say that Christmas is a very lesbian, queer woman thing too, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. L.L. Bean, winter. Yeah, winter. Winter and L.L. Bean yeah. is, is really the only connection I see. <laughs> Patagonia, Vermont. Yeah. So how would you compare and contrast this to previous films that were about lesbian relationships? Like the most recent one I can think of is Blue is the Warmest Color, which was kind <laughs> of like a male gazy shit show, obviously. Yeah. And then there's Clea Duvall's But I'm a Cheerleader. This mm -hmm. is just so much more lighthearted than all of those. So what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a desperate need for movies in which like, there is lightheartedness involving queerness. Like it's not a death sentence. Um, it feels archaic for, you know, anyone to kind of approach it in a way that's like, you're living in secrecy and in silence. And I'm sure we'll unpack that about mm -hmm. this movie too. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of movies going forward that focus on queer storylines or relationships, I could foresee being more in like the comedy space moving forward because I feel like we've done a lot a lot of like dramas like even not just about queer women like if you think of like Brokeback Mountain um there's just so many other movies that have existed that have been like a portrait of a lady on fire like that is such a drama with a capital D and it's like we've seen a lot of these movies not to say that they're all the same but like you know, there needs to be a shift in tone just because it's like 2020. So, yeah. right. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be like trauma from start to finish. Totally. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Like, com coming out and being gay doesn't have, have to be a death sentence. And that's how a lot of waspy parents portray it. And in that same vein, my first thought when I heard about happiest season was the whole premise is this woman isn't out yet and I was like oh, I kind of sighed because like it fe that already feels a little bit dated especially mm -hmm. for like a upper middle class white woman like mm -hmm. if, if this movie and we'll get into was about 
a person of color from a different socioeconomic background, like being out could be a very dramatic family dynamic altering experience. But like for Mackenzie Davis to come out, like it's not as dramatic, like, uh, anyway, I was disappointed to hear that they weren't just out and that's where the movie started. So let's get into the movie. And now I'm going to do a disclaimer that there are going to be spoilers from this point forward. So basically the, the whole plot of the film is Kristen Stewart's character. Abby is going home for Christmas with her girlfriend, Harper. I'm going to mix the names up because they are all like, they're all from the most, and every movie does this, that it's from the most popular baby names of the last like five (laughs) to 10 years. And it's like, there are no 32 year old Harpers. You're so right. That's such a good point. They go to like popularbabynames.net and you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so Kristen Stewart is with the one who looks like Allison Williams and they go home for Christmas and it turns out that she's still closeted and she is not out with her family yet. And then the movie proceeds to see Kristen Stewart be psychologically tortured for five (laughs) days straight. And then in the end, um, she, her sis, her girlfriend is forced out of the closet by her sister, which that was the one thing that didn't ring true to me in that film was just how much those two sisters hated each other. Yes, that yes. to me, I was like, no one is like that. Even if they really truly disliked each other, they wouldn't go to that level of Mm-mm. effort to screw each other over. But anyway, and then the most controversial part is that in the end, Kristen Stewart who by the end of this film, you are screaming at your TV screen, <laughs> get away from her. Like Nick and I were both like, no, like <laughs> she deserves so much better. Like, please go with Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza, but she doesn't, she goes back with that girlfriend. So <laughs> tell us how you guys react. What was your like range of emotions throughout uh, the, the course of watching this film? I thought that, First of all, I was surprised by how funny it was at parts. I was truly LOLing. And particularly at Mary Holland. Yeah, which we we really want to talk about Mary Holland because we thought she was a phenomenal. It's she's the other sister who plays Jane. Um, Yeah, it was a great script, like a funny, solid script. And that is the difference between this film and so many films that come out on streaming services that I'm not going to name because I would like to work in the industry at some point, but (laughs) it was a good ass script. (laughs) Yeah. And Mary Holland co-wrote it with Clea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that was honestly my, my first reaction was just like, oh wow. It was almost like a sigh of relief. I was like, oh shit, this is actually funny. I was so scared that it was going to be like corny or something. I, it kind of shifted into me being like, oh shit, Harper is not who I think we all want her to be. Mackenzie Davis, like we were just like, what the fuck? Like, why would anyone go through with this? Like, as you said, psychological torture. Um, and then I don't know, there were parts because like, I'm so fucking cheesy sometimes. Like I was definitely like getting emotional towards the end but it's like, you know, I get emotional towards fucking anything at the end of the day. And then I was like, uh, happy about it. <laughs> what were you happy about? I was happy that this movie existed, but then it also takes me forever to process. That's why I'm so happy we're talking like a few days after I saw it, because 
at the end of it, I was like, I loved it. And I had like no opinions, you know? <laughs> like I was just like, it's great, lesbians. And then I like went to bed and then I woke up and I was like, what the fuck? There's so many things that I want to like dissect or think was like, you know, was really wacky or didn't really make sense. And namely the Harper, Riley, Abby plotline. I am very happy this movie exists, obviously. And I think that there's some parts of it that I feel like needed to happen, even though it kind of sucked. But I don't know. I also didn't mind necessarily that this involved coming out. Melissa, you had said that there were certain aspects of the film that as as you sat and marinated with it, you were kind of like, wait a minute. So what were some of those? Totally. <laughs> the milk. Yes. Okay. So there's this iconic TikTok that I came across from like a queer and they were saying how it, the biggest unrealistic thing was in the beginning. It's a really small scene when Harper is, or no, Abby is, is making coffee for Harper and uh, Abby is holding regular milk. And the TikTok is just like, no lesbian has regular milk in their refrigerator. It's just nut milk, which is true. We literally haven't touched a bottle of regular milk in years. Um, and without even trying. So um, that was a huge thing for, for me. Uh, that was really impactful. Um, what was your question? <laughs> what were some of the things, other things? That I was like, what you... the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um, the physical comedy aspect and like the competitiveness between yes. Sloane and um, uh, Harper, who I thought was a, a little cheesy in hindsight, especially because Alison Brie, I like love that woman. And I really wanted her to have a little bit more. Um, and she delivered what she was given, but like, I feel like that character could have been fleshed out way better. And I agree, like, I think it was not realistic that they, that she would, like, sabotage her sister like that in a way that was just, like, so cruel. Um, so that was, like, the, I think the biggest takeaway for me was, like, I was mostly fixated on the sister dynamic. And then I slowly realized how uh, it was fucked up that Abby and Harper ended up together just based on Harper like fucking up like 20 times you know it wasn't just like two times there was like multiple times but yeah what didn't make sense for me is the movie starts with Harper begging Abby to come home for Christmas like please but like like truly begging and then I got so annoyed and I'm definitely of the camp that I think that sorry, I literally have to look at the names, that Abby mm -hmm. and Riley should have ended up together because that night where Harper goes out with her high school friends and she meets up with that ex-boyfriend and she just isn't texting um, Abby any updates um, and acts like nothing is amiss when she gets home like that was so unrealistic that he, just just a day ago she's begging for abby to come home for christmas oh it's gonna be so magical and she's like oh what's the problem yeah like what are you talking about i need space like you just begged for this woman to come meet your parents um yeah so that 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 was a big gap for me yeah, yeah. i also think too like you know, just looking at all the memes and shit and all the friggin' mm. clips being, you know, shared on Twitter and whatnot. Like, the chemistry between Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza was pretty lit. 
And I, I, I almost don't know if they anticipated that, but like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think there was anything there, but, um, they just did such a good job with their characters and, uh, it, it's kind of hard when, you know, two actors have that chemistry and then like one may not. And it was just like, oh damn, like no matter what, even if you have a perfect script, everyone was going to notice that chemistry there. Um, so that was another thing. And then, I don't know, I feel like also too, so I love Mackenzie Davis and I don't know if you guys have seen the San uh, Junipero episode of, of Black Mirror. So I think a reason why they, they, they cast her in this movie, not the only reason, but um, she's a really good actor, um, is that there's this Black Mirror episode that's like incredibly iconic within the queer community. And it's just about these two queer women navigating like the afterlife, but it's like beautifully written. Um, it is lauded as like one of the best Black Mirror episodes like that have ever been made and, and everything. And Mackenzie Davis is in it and she's like the star of this episode. And so I was like really excited to kind of see her just like navigate the space and like she's definitely going to go on to like win awards one day and all of that. And so it was a little disappointing to see her play this character that I feel like wasn't fully perfectly molded. And it was just like, shit, imagine a world in which like Harper would have made a little bit more sense and was a little bit more like uh, approachable and like kinder. I feel like she could have really blown that character out of the water if, if that happened. But I don't know if you feel that way. If she was the villain, I think she had to be the villain. Yeah, but, but I... Yeah, she just, I agree. She had no redeeming qualities. Like in the end, the things that made her and Kristen Stewart's character incompatible and made me root against her, it wasn't even just because she hadn't come out to her parents. It was exactly. also because she was with the boyfriend all night and then she was gaslighting her and saying, yeah. oh, you're being too jealous. And the fact that she left her alone with members of her family repeatedly for long yes. periods of time, like, oh, you can just go to the mall with my sister tomorrow. Like that's a nightmare when mm -hmm. you've just met your significant other's family, let alone when they don't even know that you're the person's significant other. So oh, yeah, okay. I, I felt like it wasn't even just, it, she just was a shitty partner in general. Totally, totally. Super yeah. shitty. And yeah, it, it doesn't make sense they, they ended up together. I wish they thought of, to, could have added some scenes where they demonstrated some real connection or handled the night out, not communicating well better, but mm -hmm. also for, for lesbians in the audience, like we're hyper communicative we're too communicative that's our downfall i'm like look at me tell me what you're really thinking you know so it felt un extra unrealistic yeah that's so true yeah what did you think of her final um begging for forgiveness like to me that didn't that didn't make enough sense no not at all there's yeah. no justification from what you had seen from harper yeah. yeah. Also, she was forced out of the closet. She yeah. <laughs> didn't do it out of her own volition. So like, as someone who like, as a screenwriter, you're mm -hmm. supposed to always make sure that your protagonist or your main characters are doing things because they have a motivation to do it. Yeah. And she was only out because her sister forced her out. And then she's mm -hmm. begging 
for forgiveness. And it's like, well, no, you didn't even do this for Kristen Stewart. You mm-hmm. yeah. just kind of were forced into it. Totally. That's such a good point. And I'm so glad you bring that up because that thought crossed my mind at the end of it. And I was like, oh shit, she didn't even have this like come to Jesus moment where it was like, I'm going to like be myself. She was friggin' dragged out of the closet. Yeah. And that also would just never happen too. And then like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, like Tr- the Trudy Campbell sister, she was so, I, what's her, Alison Brie, yeah. she was so image conscious too that she wouldn't have wanted to destroy her family's reputation because she thought it was her family's reputation. She knew that if she came out with this, then her sister was also going to say that her husband was cheating on her. So mm-hmm. she never would have done that. It just didn't ring true. And I totally. guess it was just like, otherwise it was just such a great film. It was just that one like climax moment yeah. where you Whoa, 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 whoa. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I feel like if this script just got a few tweaks and Harper herself got some necessary tweaks too, I think we would all be less like puzzled, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and I do think that there's just like this, you know, yeah, this feeling after everyone watches it, whether you're gay, straight, whatever, everyone's like, well, that that didn't feel right (laughs) you're not like you know like yeah when they're kissing in the movie theater at the end no you're just like oh where's Aubrey Plaza (laughs) yeah Aubrey's let's just take a moment for Aubrey Plaza's entrance in the restaurant when it goes from the bathroom and then to her yeah she she brought it she She really did that's all yeah Damali do you disagree no, I was really happy okay. to hear her use a normal voice. <laughs> oh, the shade. I'm sorry. I never got her before with Parks and Rec, her whole deadpan thing, because <laughs> I just think for me, it comes from my own insecurity of the fact that as a comedian, I can't pull off the deadpan thing. It is never mm-hmm. something. And so whenever I see someone who does do the deadpan thing, it feels like cheating to me because I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you're just saying it in a monotone voice. So yeah, I totally, mean. totally. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see what she like does after this. Like, I feel like I agree. It was kind of nice to see her in a different light. Also, this this cast was like incredibly a list. You had Dan Levy. Oh, we didn't uh, even get into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anna Gosteyer. K- K- I mean, Kristen Stewart, Aubrey, Allison Brie, Mary Steenburgen, Victor Garber. Like huge huge famous cast and I wonder I meant to look up the budget but I mean I I guess it goes back to how originally this was intended for a theatrical release so then when you see it on Hulu you're like what how did they get all these people yeah why does this feel so broad sometimes and oh it was supposed to be like a big movie theater Christmas movie we were reading an article too and apparently Cleo was saying how Um, the whole process of getting this made was like not as difficult as one would think. And she was just like really pleasantly surprised that like a lot of, you know, studio heads and everything were like, we're really excited for this. So going back to your initial question about like whether or not you think that this is like the beginning of something, it very well could be. I mean, everyone is talking about it, you know, I think we're all looking for like content to watch that's like 
more lighthearted or even if like there's some flaws here, like we're all talking about it and like making TikToks and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, it just, it's a great form of escapism. And so there's a chance that we could see more stuff like this, especially based on Clea's, you know, uh, insight. So. Yeah, I think that there's a real hankering for the classic cheesy rom-com, but at the same time, you can't just redo the early 2000s rom-coms. You can't just have the typical, like, straight boy meets girl, something keeps them apart, eventually they get together, because it's been done so many times and so well that there is no real way to redo it. So I think, Mm -hmm. like, putting an LGBT spin on it, putting it as part of the Christmas genre. I think these are all ways to sort of update that genre that we all love so much. And yeah, yeah, I hope that they're going to keep doing it because definitely it's just, this movie was so good. It was just so nice. And it was an hour and 40 minutes long and it kept me the entire time. I was like, I'm in this world and I'm Mm -hmm. down for whatever is about to happen. Like totally. Also, Justice for Pittsburgh. I love that freaking city. And I remember the one time I was there, I was pissed drunk and I went with some coworkers and we went to a gay bar. And this was like, I don't know, four years ago. And everyone was smoking cigarettes inside. And I was like, wow, this just like, it just felt like home. (laughs) Um, And um, I don't know. It's just, it's actually a really queer city and really beautiful and like, has a really awesome culture. Um, so I thought it was, I don't know, not to be like dorky, but I thought that was a really cool place to like have it held. I wanted like more of it too. I wanted more Pittsburgh representation. I love yeah. when like cities are characters, you know? Yes. I yeah. love when like a mm-hmm. movie is held in like a tertiary city. Mm-hmm. So That's going to sound shady, but no, no. no. Leah was uh, <laughs> hell-bent on filming this not in LA, and originally it was, she wanted New York, but it's too expensive, so then, they, uh, you know, location scouts went to Pittsburgh, she's like, oh, this is so cool, and furthermore, she refused to film it other than, like, stark winter. She's like, when you're watching a Christmas movie, you can tell when it's, like, just LA and 50 degrees, like, 60 degrees mm, out. Yeah. Like, you could tell in that scene with, with, Case Stu and Aubrey Plaza that they were like cold as fuck on the sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you think they film? When do they film all of these? Like, was this filmed before COVID? That's what I want to know with all of these Christmas movies this year. You got a crazy fact for you. You know all of this. Yes. I listened to um, Danny Pellegrino had a good interview on his podcast with um, Clea, but they um, were originally set to film in like December 2018 and then like logistics it got pushed back to April um 2019 and Cleo was like I I would rather wait nine months and do it when it's freezing out so then they ended up they started filming on January 20th 2020 and they literally wrapped on February 28th 2020. Whoa yeah yeah (laughs) it's crazy like, imagine if they started any later, they wouldn't have finished the movie. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, like, it had such good Christmas visuals. That house mm-hmm. was incredible. So and gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah. And I loved the Mary Steenburgen character because she came across so terrible in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you just ended up kind of liking her toward the end. Yeah. 
Totally. I was laughing my ass off when we were introduced to her and she's taking a photo on the iPad yes. instantly. Yes. That was such a friggin' key, like that in and of itself just like totally embodies boomer culture. And I was like, oh my God, that is so important for us to see as a nation. The iPad so usage true. is, yeah. I had a short lived Instagram account that was just pictures of boomers taking photos with iPads. <laughs> but I never really tried to grow it. <laughs> oh my God, can you send it to me? That sounds No, so I don't think so. <laughs> I think there's like two photos. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like part of what, part of the reason why they had to have Abby and Harper end up together was mm-hmm. because you had to see the denouement of how Harper's coming out ended you know what I mean like yes and if they put Abby if they made it this big fight with Abby and Harper not speaking to each other ever again you would just leave Harper at like the worst moment and you would never see how it ended especially Mm -hmm. if Abby went with Riley so I wonder if that was part of why they did it because it was nice to see Harper's family come around in the end Mm -hmm. and like be accepting and everything my thought on that was just that it's a Christmas rom-com and the two characters always end up together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like totally. I never had any doubt that they wouldn't because mm-hmm. I've been watching so many Christmas <laughs> rom-coms. Yeah. It's really nice if Harper and Riley ended up together too. Yeah. That's the thing with genre is that you just have to follow so many rules. But the other movie other than Get Out that this one really reminded me of was The Family Stone. And mm. in The Family Stone literally siblings swap sexual partners so i feel like but that is also something where it starts out as a super typical rom-com and then it just goes haywire it's almost like a french farce so Mm -hmm. i guess that was just like i guess they couldn't have done that with this one i don't know no i think casey's right you know it's a christmas movie at the end of the day it can't deviate I'm gonna against go, the rules. Yeah, it's it, we would it would have just like blown up your TV if like anything else happened. Um, one other thing I'm gonna say, and yeah, I've got a lot to say about. So when I first, I must confess, when I first watched the movie, I was like, I like that Harper and Abby ended up together initially because. A couple of reasons. And I think this is what they were trying to do if I were to like really put like bet money on it. Um, Dan Levy, when like uh, his character and it's basically just Dan Levy, it's just Dan Levy and Kristen Stewart hanging out in a gas station. When they're like talking and everything like that, there's a lot of moments where he's kind of like, Abby, just because Harper is, you know, not able to come out and like being kind of shitty doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't love you. And I think, and there are moments too where like there's discussion or like dialogue about the fact that coming out doesn't necessarily mean that that, or not coming out doesn't necessarily mean that that person doesn't love their partner and all of that. And so I feel like there was this drive to kind of show that coming out can be like kind of gross and messy and unloving too, or like, you know, you're really in like your primal uh, sort of state sometimes and are just like, oh my God, this is like 
fight or flight mode. And I, we only watched the movie once. I'm really curious how I would feel if I watched it like two or three times over the course of like a couple of days or weeks. And if I would have different like reactions towards what Harper is doing, don't get me wrong. I think that her character was deeply flawed and there was really no redeeming like characteristic there, but like I think that they were, what they were trying or what Clea was trying to do was just kind of emphasize that like you're not a bad person if you don't come out too. It's just like that's a very um, that's a very privileged mindset that's sort of like come about in the last you know couple of years. And so I know that a lot of discourse within the LGBTQ community has been like, listen, if it's not safe to come out, like don't come. You know what I mean? Like it's so much more nuanced and complex and like layered than that. I don't know if I explained that well, but I feel like that's why they also wanted to make sure they ended up together. I think that's an awesome point and it makes total sense because as a spectator, especially for me, like never having had to come out before, it's so easy to be like, why doesn't she just come out? Like she should just do it. Who cares? And yeah, it's just not that, that easy. Totally. And I saw a really good tweet too, I think by Jill Gutowitz, who's just like um, lesbian Twitter icon. And she was saying how like, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but something along the lines of how this was just like a chapter in Harper's like story and like her character. And so like, we're kind of just seeing like the shitty fucked up part, but as like, edu- like as like smarter viewers or audience members, like there is, uh, we have to assume, not that we have to, but we can maybe assume that like, she isn't like that, you know? It's just like a moment in time where she was basically in fight or flight mode. From hearing what you're saying, yeah, I guess if they hadn't had Abby and Harper end up together, it would almost in a way be punishing Harper for not being able to come out. And that's not fair because her family was so you know, nuts and crazy. And I think it's also something that I missed. And now that I'm realizing and hearing what you're saying, Melissa, is this movie is also a parable about how we regress to our worst childhood Mm -hmm. version of ourselves when we go home for Christmas. Like you go home for Christmas and you're just like, oh my God, I have to get straight A's and I have to get varsity. (laughs) And if I don't, then everyone's going to hate me and everything's going to fall apart. Yes. That yes. does make her character a little more understandable for sure. I would love to see the dad like embrace his daughters and become mayor. Like, I think that was something. He does become mayor. They didn't. Oh, does he? It's in the credits. I thought she was going to come in like at the end and save the day and be like, I will let you, I will give you the campaign money if you embrace your daughter, because this would be like a helpful, like forward thinking kind of thing for the campaign, because otherwise what's the point of her character just to be like a cliche conservative. 2020 and even in like small town Pennsylvania, we know by now that Republicans love to gaslight us into thinking that they're looking out for the LGBT community and yes. people of color's best so interest. So true. So if someone's they running could... for conservative office and they have yeah. a daughter, they're going to put that front and center and be like, I'm an ally. Tiffany Trump, give a speech. <laughs> 
to you know to like glad you know what I mean yes but I was like whatever this is a movie so we're gonna pretend Mm -hmm. that that's still the way it works but right yeah Mm -hmm. it felt that felt very dated them having to conceal his gay daughter you know running for mayor yeah Pittsburgh you know yeah (laughs) yeah yeah also I think everyone in the town again this is similar to our other discussion about Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square is Mm. there are no secrets in small towns like in Mm. Christmas on the Square they're pretending that no one would have known that Christine Baranski had a child like everyone would have known that in this small town yes would have known that Pastor Christian was (laughs) her child and I mean, I just feel like if you're in high school, like everyone knows who you're hooking up with and who you're sleeping with and everything in a small town. Why are you laughing so hard? It's Pastor Christian. Did you watch it? Did no, you watch we, it? Have, we haven't maybe watched tonight. it yet. Yeah, maybe after this. Okay, well, I just Ooh. pretend you didn't hear anything I just said because it yeah, was oops. rife with spoilers. <laughs> But anyway, yes, Casey, the dad won because they showed them. They showed Mary Steenburgen's Instagram feed afterward. They they roll oh, through her whole yeah. feed, and like five down is him celebrating that he won mayor. Yeah. I hate when they put actual plot points in the <laughs> credits. They must yeah. have had a scene and deleted it, honestly, because mm-hmm. I was like, just they, it's weird that they never wrapped up that storyline because, yeah, especially because it is a Christmas movie and it's like every single storyline has to get wrapped up and be a happy ending, and they just sort of left that one hanging. But totally, yeah, he won, and they yeah. went to ride together. Yeah, they're on the TD Bank bank float. <laughs> yeah. I lo- I really <laughs> TD Bank float. Also, it's very rare in a feature for there to be more than one gay character. Like mm. you already had the protagonist couple, and then you had this um, supporting role that was also a gay character. Mm. Um, so that was that seemed like a real leapfrog of progress. Totally, like, and also. Norm- Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> and also very realistic. You know what I mean? Like, I why would a queer woman seek advice about coming out from a straight person? But I could see some wackadoo in Hollywood trying to to do that, you know? Yeah, so, like yeah. Oh, she needs a sexy straight friend who she's yeah. <laughs> jealous of, who gets all the attention. Like yes. no. Totally, totally, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. So Melissa and Jen. What are some other really good films about queer women that our listeners should check out? But I'm a cheerleader, if you haven't seen it. First Girl I Loved. I love that movie. It's so cute. And Watermelon Woman. It is about a woman who lives in Philadelphia who works in a video store in the 90s, and it's filmed in the 90s. Um, And she's researching the, like, old Hollywood mammy trope in actor actresses who are black um but the protagonist is black and gay herself um and it's, it's just very 90s too and it's in yeah. philly yeah love it. we love a tertiary yeah. city um <laughs> no philly's a philly is a secondary yeah, city. Wait. Philly <laughs> is a secondary city pittsburgh is a tertiary city a movie that like it definitely has its problems is kissing Jessica Stein, but I really love it. Um, it stars, uh, oh my gosh, the woman who actually dated, uh, John Hamm for like 20 years. Oh yeah. Blonde um, 
Yeah. And it's really, really 90s-ish, but it was made in 2001. And then the last movie, which is probably the, the least uh, in tune with queer issues and anything, but really tries desperately, but is super 90s and it's made by Kevin Smith. And it's, so there's tons of New Jersey stuff. Hurry and say Amy. it because we're going to run out of time. Chasing Amy! It kind of sucks, but like, I don't know. <laughs> You know what? I think that's a really important message. It can be kind of sucky, but you still like it. And it can be kind of not exactly 100%. And you, it's still good. It's still fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's Chasing Amy? Chasing Amy, yeah. It's Amy. not... There's problems with it. That's a theme with a lot of our Christmas movies that we cover. Exactly. So that, yeah, that counts. Exactly. Exactly. Did, did you know I've never seen Carol? Why'd you? It's not a personality type. I'm sorry. I need. I really need to see it. I keep waiting for the right moment because oh, I know it's, it's a Christmas movie. I know it's probably like it's a slow and dramatic, so I have to be in the right mindset. You should have a Carol episode of this podcast. Yeah. It's oh. very Christmassy. Do you guys want to come back on for Carol, like in a couple totally. weeks? Totally. Yes. I also will fucking come on for Jingle All the Way. Melissa and Jen, thank you so much for joining us and lending us your incredible thoughts about this great film that we all, I think, loved. Uh, it was really cathartic to talk about it, and I appreciate all of your insights, too. I'm glad you had a catharsis. A Christmas catharsis. Wow, what a great film and what a great discussion. I love Jen and Melissa. They always have such great things to say about TV and film and the internet and just everything. Yeah, they really know their stuff. Who's your holiday cheermeister for this week? Okay, my holiday cheermeister for the week, speaking of buying Christmas trees, is this Christmas tree farm in Hudson, New Jersey, that is giving away free Christmas trees to first responders. So, well, I guess my first cheermeister is the first responders because I feel like these people have been nonstop since March and I just can't even imagine what it's like at this point. So anyone who is going to throw, like give them a, anything extra around the holidays or at all is definitely a holiday cheermeister for me. So give the people free Christmas trees. It's like the least we can do. So that's my holiday cheermeister. Who's your holiday cheermeister this week? My holiday cheermeister is Kiki Palmer. She performed at the Thanksgiving Day Parade and she's just a ray of sunshine and I freaking love her. You know, she is always funny. She's always fun. She's always really peppy. She was on the coach float, I believe, which honestly, coach just always gives me Christmas memories because <laughs> one time they, mommy and daddy actually got me a coach bag for Christmas and I could not believe it. Like I truly- One time? Yeah, it was- um in high school, they got me a black leather coach bag. And it was because oh, yeah. mommy wouldn't get me the one with the C's on it because she was like, that's too ostentatious. So she got me this black leather one. And I truly was shocked. I couldn't believe that they got me this bag. So coach is always like a nice Christmas vibe for me. I don't know. And Kiki Palmer is just always the best vibe. So I, I just feel like Kiki Palmer should host everything for every holiday. I think she is someone in our generation who we're going to see become a real pop culture staple because she's just a pro and she's a class act. 
So that's why Kiki Palmer is my holiday cheermeister of the week. She was so great in that performance. And I would love to see her do a Christmas album at some point. That would be super cool. Yeah, that would be amazing. I, I just, wonder if she has any songs. Yeah, I just want to see her in everything. Like, I think New Year's Eve, she would be a great person to host the ball drop. I just feel like we need to hand her the keys to the pop culture kingdom is what i Just I'm give her the keys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we need everybody, all of our listeners, to send us the most festive TikToks and everything that you find throughout the week and tag us in your tree pictures. Tag at Christmas News Pod. We will repost it because we want to keep spreading Christmas cheer. Tag us in your cooking videos. Tag us in your cooking photos. Tag us in everything that has Christmas cheer because we want to spread it around. Cocktails, gifties, pajamas, you name it. Tag us in it. Small businesses that are really good for shopping. Everything. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we want to see it all. We want to see it all. Not all of it, but. Well, yeah, we do want to see it all. Well, this has been another episode of Christmas News. I hope that we've informed you well. And that you go on to have a great Noel. Oh. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.